So I don't recall anybody doing this since Bill, Bill Keel moved away. So I want you to take a minute and look at your thumb. All right, it should be there at the far end of your hand. And you'll see some ridges there. So don't look at my thumb, look at your thumb, because you can't make them out on my, on my th thumb, okay? And those ridges are your thumbprint. And nobody in the world has one just like that. So that makes you special. That makes you unique. That makes you thumb buddy. All right. I never, I never have minded bad jokes, okay? But I remember playing this baseball game when I was younger on the original Nintendo system. And I wanted to go through the whole series. I wanted to win the championship. But sometimes I wouldn't do so well in a game. And I wanted to make sure that I was going to be successful. So I learned that the best way to do that was when I was getting ready to lose, I would reach over and hit the reset button. And that meant that I had another chance to do it all over again. I had a fresh opportunity at winning that game. And that's the way some things in life are as well. Sometimes we have to look at our life in certain areas and we have to do a reset. And this is our last week, like Zach said, on reset. We've talked about faith, family, friends, finances, failure and fear. And this week we're finishing up with a discussion of rearranging our thinking on fun. Because believe it or not, God wants us to have fun. He has an interest in how we go about that. And so maybe you grew up in a church that was uptight and the last thing that you think about when you think of church is fun. But, but that's, not a, that's not what I believe God wants from us. I would argue that's far from what God wants for his people. Some folks have this tendency to think that God only wants us at our most serious, while other people want to compartmentalize. You know, I can be fun me on Friday and Saturday, but then I bring serious me to church on Sunday. And never these two versions of myself should meet. And that's kind of problematic because, first of all, that creates an unnecessary stress and strain between church you and fun you. And most of us have enough stress in our lives without trying to separate these two different versions of ourselves. Second, that tells God, I don't want you in these parts of my life. And third, it gives a bad impression to those who need some Jesus in their lives. Billy Joel is a very talented uh, musician and singer, uh, but he's not a believer. And in 1978, he released a song called Only the Good Die Young. And it contains this line, I'd rather, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. And if that's how God truly wanted us to be, to be no fun and be serious all the time, then I'd say, sure, let's go with that because that's what God wants. But the examples and statements that we find in Scripture just don't back that up. They don't approach that kind of, that kind of way of living the Christian lifestyle. In fact, we're going to take a minute here and look at the very first Christian sermon. So a little bit of background. After Jesus has returned to heaven, the disciples are gathered in Jerusalem. It's a Sunday, and the Holy Spirit showed up 
in the form of a flaming tongue. And what happened was the disciples start speaking and everybody there hears them in their own language. So for instance, in, in our day, that would be like me being up here speaking my Appalachian English and somebody comes in and they speak Spanish, they would hear me talking, but they'd hear it in Spanish. Or somebody Italian comes in and they hear me talking, but in Italian, and so forth and so on and what have you. And some people are amazed at this, okay? They're looking around at each other like, this is not normal, right? This is pretty cool. Something unique is going on here. But then some others, the uptight religious crowd, they start, they start passing around rumors and they say, you know what, I think those guys are just drunk. Which is kind of weird to me because I used to work at Kroger down in Richlands. And on Saturday night, there was this tendency for people to gather in the parking lot there at Kroger. And they would, you know, they'd drink their hooch and have their good time or whatever. And, and that was how they were spending their Saturday nights. But then occasionally... They would come into the store to, to buy Cheetos or bananas or whatever goes well with their booze of choice. And, and I learned a couple of things about drunk people. Number one, they aren't as funny or clever as they think they are. And B, a person who is drunk is actually harder to understand than a person who is not drunk. So concluding that the disciples are drunk here makes no sense to me. I don't know how they got that from this situation. But I love how Simon Peter handles the situation. Here it is, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It tells us, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So some people are trying to accuse Peter and the other disciples of drunkenness. And Peter doesn't take offense. He doesn't stand up to defend his honor. He gets up and says, we're not drunk. The liquor store isn't even open yet. So if anyone ever tells you that church ought to be uptight and serious and boring, you can point them here and you can tell them the very first Christian sermon started off with a joke. Okay? So you can quote me on this, guys. You can bring fun with you to church. So not only did the first sermon start with a joke, but the Bible contains many encouragements to have fun and be filled with joy. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time together today reading every one of those. So estimated time to completion is about 3 o'clock tomorrow. I'm just kidding. All right. I know that doesn't sound fun to many of you. You can come up here and repent later. But, but I do want to pick one and look at it. Let's look at Psalm 118, verse 24. It tells us, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I love that. As children of God, there is no reason this should not be our motto for each and every day. And so I went and did some research on this because sometimes we can learn some cool stuff by looking at the Bible words in the original language. 
in Hebrew, the word that is translated as we will rejoice is one word. And that one word is Nagila. And if you're thinking, that sounds kind of familiar, but not, there is this Jewish folk song, Hava Nagila, okay? And if you've watched a TV show or a movie with a Jewish wedding or bar mitzvah, you've probably seen them, you know, they start singing and dancing, and they're going, Hava, Nagila, Hava. You know that song? So it's the same word, Nagila. And so that song literally translates to, let's rejoice. So guys, you have no religious basis to be uptight and to not have fun. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to do a little call and response. So I'm going to reread the first half of that verse, and then I want you to read the rest of it. But here's the catch. I want you to read it like you really mean it. All right? So I'm going to go, then you go. You got it? All right. So this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah. All right. Now let's say it like, D- like David wrote it. Nagila. There you go. All right. And it's not we, we might could rejoice or we'll consider rejoicing. It's we will. That is an act of choice. So this is what I'm calling the rejoice choice. We can choose to be rejoiceful. Philippians 4.4 tells us this. Rejoice in the, in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Is that something that's in your Bible for you to read it as rejoice again? I say rejoice. No, that's not what it's there. God wants you to have fun and enjoy your life. So make the rejoice choice. And the next time you're enjoying the life that God gave you. And someone says, hey, you need to cool it because you are having too much fun. You say, hey, I am just expressing my freedom of religion. Okay? Make the rejoice choice. And it's true that God really does want us to enjoy life and have fun. But I know how our minds can sometimes make the wrong connections. So let's, let's keep this next thing in mind as well. And that is fun is not a cause for harmful behavior. A lot of folks have a very selfish and hurtful view of fun. But that's also not compatible with the teachings of God's Word. I thought about pulling out one of those verses that says, don't do this thing or this thing or this other thing. And those are great verses if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you need to get spelled out for you. I'm not against that. But rather than have you avoid the worst... I'd like for us to look at a principle, and this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, that encourages us to do our best. Here's what it says. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So the idea here is that we should not be selfish and how we would approach anything in life, whether it be fun, whether it be desire, whether it be ambition, putting others ahead of ourselves, that's a foreign notion to society as a whole. A lot of times, you know, there's this tendency we're looking out for number one, right? But I don't really think that that that's compatible 
with what God wants for us. We like to think of ourselves as, as advanced, but I question what are we advancing to? Are divorce rates decreasing? No, those are advancing. You know why? Because too many people are seeking their own gratification first. I read a report about two weeks ago that said that deaths from drugs and alcohol and suicide are at an all-time high in climbing. So that's advancing. But why is that? We're pursuing fun and happiness down roads that don't lead that way. Years ago, my family and I were headed to Myrtle Beach. And I was sure that I was on the right road. But I kept seeing signs for, for towns that weren't on the way to where I needed to go. But I kept thinking, nah, it'll be all right. Here in just a minute, the road's going to turn east and I'm going to be doing great, right? You know what the road didn't do? It never did turn east. So I was never going to get on the right road by continuing down the wrong road. You know what made the difference? I stopped and bought a map. And the map showed me the right way to go. And thankfully, my wife was really good. And she found a way to like cut, an, cut an hour off of the time of getting back to where we needed to be. So guys, whatever the world and society is teaching as fun outside of God is not working. So don't conform yourself to the path that society tells you is the fun path. It's the fun path. Get in your Bible, open your map, and get led in the best direction. So enjoying life is important, and rejoicing over our position in Christ is something we ought to do. But understand this also, life is not only about the pursuit of fun. I'm going to ask you a question, and you may not have thought of it in exactly these terms before, but I think you're going to get the right answer, okay? So why... When, when Christ comes into us, when Christ saves us, sorry, why, does, why does Christ not instantly take us up to heaven? It's like, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins, and I ask you to forgive me and make me one of yours, and then boom. It's absent, with the, absent from the body, present with the Lord time. Why doesn't it work like that? Why does God not just insta-rapture each believer? And I think that we can all probably come to the conclusion that's so that we can help make other new believers, right? But we also have important tasks ahead of us, or more important tasks ahead of us, than merely having fun for just the sake of fun. We read from 1 Corinthians a minute ago. Let's read on down a bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 through 33. It tells us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So, at the end of the day, is the way that you're choosing to have fun pushing you towards your rightful purpose, or is it causing you to detour away from God's purpose for your life? Let's picture it this way. Over here are people who are far from Jesus, and over here is me, and over here is Jesus. Are my actions and behaviors saying, yes, come on over here 
and meet my friend Jesus? Or are my actions and behaviors creating a barrier that's saying, you know, you don't want to come over here? That's keeping people who need Jesus away. So really the question we need to be asking ourselves is this. Are my plans for having fun compatible with my purpose for living? If you're a Christian, then your highest calling, your greatest purpose is to help make more Christians. It's literally the only reason that you're not in heaven today is because God wants you helping to bring other people to him. So if your actions are not helpful to that end, then your attempts at fun are not going to create genuine happiness for yourself or those around you. If what you want to do is taking you in a direction away from God, then you need to reset how you think of fun. And so that kind of rules out things like heroin and uh, promiscuity and theft and arson and vandalism, right? There, but, but it leaves us with plenty of other options to enjoy life that are not as destructive, okay? That still leaves room for going to an amusement park or going bowling or going gardening if that's what you're into. So many other things that you can enjoy without trying to keep your faith at arm's distance. And for sure, my idea of fun may be different than yours. Some people like to color. They find it relaxing to just sit there and color away with the coloring book. They find it relaxing. You might think this is weird, but coloring for me is very stressful. And I, I don't know why. There's probably some sort of repressed memory involved there. But I just don't enjoy coloring at all. And if you do, that's great. We can have different ideas of what fun is, and it works out well for you because you don't even have to share your crayons with me. But somewhere along the way, people have gotten this idea or accepted this weird notion that heaven looks like this. So, a little bit of background. Last time I was up here, I had those old pictures of Zach and Jason, Amanda, and myself. And between services, Brandon came up to me, and we've pretty much known each other all of our, all of our lives. And he said, you know, why, why wasn't I up there? You should include me the next time. And here we are. But anyways, there's this notion, not that everyone will look like Brandon when we get to heaven, although he's looking pretty ripped there, right? But that heaven is this place where you sit on a cloud and you play a harp and that's how you spend eternity. And that sounds awful, doesn't it? Um, granted, I'm not great at relaxing and doing nothing and being still. Some of you may be and maybe that does sound great to you. But I'm not sure exactly how this idea of floating on a cloud and playing a harp in heaven developed. But the bottom line is this. That's not an image that you will find anywhere in the Bible. And I dare you to read every word of the Bible and prove me wrong. Yes, yeah, I said it. If I can get you reading your Bible just to spite me, then I'll take it as a win. But actually the Bible shows us a very different picture of what comes after this life for those of us who belong to God. There, there are more passages that paint a fuller picture of, of what the hereafter looks like. But let's look at this one from Isaiah Chapter 2, verse 4. It tells us this. He, meaning Jesus, 
will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So there are two things that we can learn about the afterlife from this. A, this will be a time of peace. There's no need for swords or spears in a situation where everyone is obedient to Jesus Christ. And number two, in place of these swords and spears, there will be plows and pruning hooks. Now, if you don't know what a pruning hook is, then you're probably like me and not super agriculturally inclined. So I was in the same boat with you a couple of weeks ago, and I had to, uh, but I had time to do research, which you didn't have, right? So here we are, but I had, I had a chance to do it. And I looked, and I found out what a pruning hook, and I was like, wow, I think that my mom actually has one of those. But basically, it is a sickle or a scythe used for pruning branches and weeds. So now that we know about the plows and pruning hooks that come after this life, what does this tell us? This lets us know that there will be peace, but it also implies activity. So the Bible's idea of heaven isn't this place where you just sit around on cloud nine playing a harp for eternity. It's not just this place of inactivity. Think of it more as work without weariness. Have you seen pictures of Michelangelo's painting on the Sistine Chapel? Maybe some of you have even been there. So disclaimer, first of all, I don't believe that God is like this old man with a beard as Michelangelo painted him. But theological differences aside, this is one of the most amazing artistic achievements in history, okay? So there's the story that he lay on his back to paint this and all that. That's actually not true. But he did have to stand on a scaffold to paint the Sistine Chapel. So... For those of you who do like to color, can you imagine having to color, but you have the coloring book over your head? We, we've increased the difficulty of your coloring, right? So for those of you who don't find it stressful like I do, maybe you find it stressful now. But add to that, the Sistine Chapel is done in a style called fresco. And you're thinking that's one of those sandwiches from Hardy's. No, that's a fresco. Fresco is a method of painting. What Michelangelo had to do, he had to first of all apply plaster to the ceiling. Before the plaster could dry, then he had to do his painting. So essentially, Michelangelo puts up some plaster, he paints that area, he moves to another section, puts more plaster, he paints that area before it dries. And essentially what it does, it tattoos the, uh, the artwork to the ceiling which is why people can still go there today and admire his work. But now, you're not only coloring with the coloring book over your head, you're making the pages of the coloring book and coloring them with it all over your head. Does that sound difficult? It took him several years to finish, but at the end of all that effort, though, is this amazing piece of work of art. And that's an important thing that we need to know about work. At the end of work is the satisfaction of the completed work. 
Work allows us to achieve things. We can gain satisfaction through working. So a lot of times we think of work as the opposite of fun. And if that's your line of thinking, then you may need to reset your thinking on work and on fun. We tend to think of the Amish as being anti-technology. And it's actually that they are more pro-hard work and pro-community. So where I could use a crane and, and build a barn probably <clears throat> in one day with very little assistance, they see that as an opportunity to need more people. They would look at that as an opportunity instead to join together as a community and spend time enjoying each other while they work. Yeah, I could plow my field with a motorized tractor and I would get it finished faster. But if I use an ox to plow my field, then that gives me an opportunity to spend time with my children while we plow the field together. And if I'm feeding my oxen at the end of the day, I'm not gambling or getting drunk or running around on my wife. So for them, it's really not about we hate technology, but it's about gaining joy in the work that they do. And I'm okay with you buying butter instead of churning your own. Okay? I'm not telling you all to go out and join Mennonite communities. But, but I am saying, what is your attitude towards life? What is your attitude towards work? Do you view your life and your work as barriers to having fun? Or are you looking at it at all the aspects that make up your life and are you saying, Nagila, okay, this is the day the Lord has made. I am going to rejoice and be glad in it. So as we get ready to close, take this home with you, okay? Fun is not the absence of work. Fun should not be an excuse for sin, but God does want you to have fun and enjoy your life. So I have a challenge for you today. You know, uh, the last couple of weeks, Zach has had you write something down, your fears or your failures and cross them out. I'm not going to have you do that. But I do have a challenge for you today, and that is have fun today. So when you leave here, go ahead and have some fun. Take a picture of yourself. If you have social media, put it on your social media and write, God wants me to have fun. And I want to get us in the right mind for it before we leave. So before we go, we're going to look at Psalm 118, 24 one more time. And again, I'm going to read the first half. And then we're all going to read the second half. Like we know that God loves us and wants us to love the life that he has given us. So Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. All right, guys. Now let's pray. God, I love you, and I'm thankful for, for this day that you've made and that you've given us. I thank you that you love us and that you care about us enjoying our lives and having fun and that you're invested in, in how we live and what we do. And I just ask you to please just help us to go out of here being joyful and being thankful for all that you provided us with. For us in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.